Guys, I don't know where to begin here tonight with number 70 behind the yellow line. A couple days earlier in the week, I'm thinking, hey, Cubs are actually playing okay baseball here. Last two days have not been good. Today, maybe rock bottom, a 20-5 to loss in Cincinnati. And we've got lots to unpack. The road trip here for the Cubs, the upcoming uh, homestand too. Uh, some interleague play with the White Sox thrown into the mix. Not good baseball happening on the north side, though, and unfortunately, I think that's the energy at least I'm bringing into tonight's podcast. What do you think, well, Randall? Well, the thing about rock bottom is it's only rock bottom until you hit the next rock bottom. There, there, there isn't really a limit to how far you can fall. You know, we thought maybe losing all those games to the D-backs or, you know, three out of four to the D-backs sure. at home was rock bottom, and then you get you lose two out of four to the Reds, one of which is a 20-5 to five loss in which Andrelton Simmons has to pitch. Again, it's only the worst. It's only the worst point in the season until you get to the next worst point in the season. There, there's always room to keep digging. And they've got a big hole here, I think, in front of them. A rare off day Friday, but it's probably a good thing. After that, two days on the south side, and then one of the weirdest homestands you'll ever see. Four with the Brewers, including a doubleheader Monday for the holiday. Five with the Cardinals, including a doubleheader Saturday. So tough stretch of baseball coming up. I know we've got a lot to get into on that. But I'm feeling pessimistic as we hit record tonight. I don't think anyone is going to be writing any books about these five games against the Cardinals. Oh man, maybe in St. Louis they'll uh, have a whole anthology. Yeah, uh, it'll be a, it'll be like page. a it'll be like a board book, one one word per page. You don't want to overload anybody down there. Well, as bad as it's been, we want to talk about it. There have been some bright spots in it, even in today's loss, some uh, bombs from Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras. But some real concerns with this team, too. And one of the things I do know that we want to get to today is what on earth's going on with Kyle Hendricks? He's supposed to be the ace of this team, certainly not pitching like an ace. And I know Jeremy's got some thoughts on that. Want to talk about the Cubs' top pitching prospect who's getting closer and closer to Wrigley Field. And we thought with two doubleheaders next week, maybe he's up. It's not going to be the case, but we'll see Caleb Killian at some point. We do want to chat about him. And then here we are coming up on roughly... The two-month mark here in the season. Of course, the season started a little bit late this year. But as we get to Memorial Day, I want to step out of the dark clouds of the Cubs here, look around Major League Baseball, and I got a question for each of you. Biggest surprise in Major League Baseball up to this point, most intriguing storyline, and that can be either up to this point or moving forward. So think about that a little bit. One player, shouldn't even say it, I kind of gave it away there, one person in Chicago Cubs history has worn number 70. You should know who he is. If not, we're going to wrap up with that here today. And I also want to note we are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. So if you're hurting like we're hurting, send us some thoughts. Let's try and get through this upcoming homestand as best as we can. But let's be honest here, guys. This is bad baseball happening right now with the Chicago Cubs. You win the first two in Cincinnati. You're thinking, all right, you take leads in games three and four. But it has fallen apart here the last two days. And Jeremy, a 20-5 to loss to Cincinnati. You're the kind of guy all the time on this podcast. You say, Randall, don't get too high. Don't get too low. I'm low because you lose 20-5 to to a Bads Red, Reds team. That sucks all the time. Yeah, today was obviously a bad day. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible third inning. At one point, you know, you're just like, call it when the rain started to come. Although, you know, what you're saying, you know, don't get too low. I do. I do enjoy Randall. He's always looking for the lower. I mean, we come on the pod. He's like, this isn't the low point. There's always a ways to go. I'm trying Am I wrong? looking for the lower. Am I wrong? I don't know if you're wrong or not. I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's funny. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a bad, I mean, yeah, they won three games in a row against 
uh, the Diamondbacks and then the two against the Reds, you're feeling like, okay, maybe this is a, a little bit of a spark here. We won, we won four games. We lost four. Now we're up to three. And so you're thinking they put up, they put up runs early both today and yesterday, thinking maybe we can go into this pod on a good note, but then just an absolutely uh, terrible third inning into the rest of the game, 20 to five, an awful loss. And now we're looking at this podcast and it's all, you know, our feelings of negativity and pessimism, yeah. which is unfortunate. But, uh, I, you know, as you said on the top, there were some good things uh, to look at, they, even including in those uh, couple of wins. I think Christopher Morales played very well. Yeah. And Ian Happ. This has been the yeah. Ian Happ we've been waiting for for years. Randall, let's try to be optimistic here because there's a lot of nonsense with this team right now. Ian Happ, man, this is fun. It, it is. And, you know, he loves hitting in Cincinnati. One of the beat reporters said this week, somebody left a, something in his locker calling uh, Great American Ballpark the house that Happer built. He loves hitting in Cincinnati. Every player has that ballpark, that team against whom they just do great work. It's the Great American Ballpark for Ian Happ. And Jeremy mentioned Christopher Morell. It's only been a week, but I'm really impressed by him. The versatility we knew was there. He started games at second, short, third, and in center. And the one thing that's really impressed me about him is the plate discipline. You never heard about him being a real big on base guy coming up through the minor leagues. It wasn't all that long ago. I want to say maybe 2018. He did not walk at all. He did not walk once in a full season at a ball. He's come up. He's put up some really professional plate appearances. He's laid off tough pitches. He's fouled off a bunch. They've been using him in that leadoff spot. I've been really impressed by the by the plate appearances from Christopher Morell because that hasn't typically been part of his skill set. Yeah, I, I think that's good, Randall. And I'm worried about Morell long term. I don't know that he's going to be a viable big league player. I don't really care about that right now, though. I just he's up there. He's getting an opportunity. That home run. I know you guys did a podcast between his first home run. That was just one of those things that even in a miserable season, we're going to be talking about years from now. Remember how cool that was when he knocked the ball out of the ballpark. So it's fun watching him do it. You know, the leagues can adapt to him. The question is going to be, will he be able to adapt back? But for now, Let's enjoy it. It's more fun watching him out there than some older guys that maybe aren't part of the future. Absolutely. Uh, Christopher Morell, I think, has a lot in common in with Alfonso Rivas. Not so much in the skill set necessarily, but in that I don't know that he's a starting player at any position on what we hope will eventually be a good Cubs team. But I think that's a guy that can do really good work for you off the bench, starting a couple times a week, playing four positions, bringing you a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, a little bit of uh, ability to get out there. And I hate this phrase, make something happen, but do something worthwhile to help the team. So I don't know that you want Christopher Morell starting long-term because I think that's a great way to get him exposed. We've seen it with Alfonso Rivas, but I think this is a guy who definitely has a roster spot on a good team because that's a skill set that you can absolutely make good use of. I, I think for Morell, and I, I've been a little surprised as you know, we, we, you mentioned his, uh, his approach and his on base ability and taking good at bats and, and how he had, and as you said, in 2018, he didn't walk. So when he came up, he, I thought, okay, this is a raw young guy. who's probably not going to really succeed much. And I figured he'd go, you know, immediately back down once they had room for him on the roster, uh, no more room, excuse me. And I think so far he's shown that like, you got to keep giving this guy like a chance to play a little bit. I, I don't think he's done anything to suggest that he should go down. Uh, 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 and so I, I've been surprised by him. I thought he'd come up, he'd, he'd just struggle a ton. I thought he'd strike out a lot. I thought he wouldn't be able to, to kind of, he'd be just he'd be just too raw for uh, Major League Baseball. And 
I, I've been impressed by him, and I and I and I would like to see him stick around. You know, another you know a couple of weeks. Who knows when Jason Hayward comes back off the list? Yeah. But uh, I think he's proven that hey, he deserves to be here until you know we'll see probably at some point his struggles. You know, I, I don't think there's any reason to keep Jonathan VR on the roster, assuming you're not going to just designate Hayward for assignment when he gets healthy, whenever that is. I, I don't think there is any reason to send Morell down when Hayward comes back. I think VR needs to be the player gone to eventually make room for Hayward if that is what you're going to do. Christopher Morell can do everything Jonathan VR can do. He can do all of that better. And he can do a number of things that Jonathan VR can't do. You can play Morell at shortstop and he's not going to embarrass himself. Morell can run a whole lot better. He's got just as much power in that bat. I think he's got a much better ability to make contact. I, you know, I, I, I went on record. They called Jonathan VR, I believe, a cromulent signing, perfectly <laughs> adequate. I'm perfectly willing to admit that he hasn't even lived up to that. And I think he needs to be the roster move gone when Hayward comes back and you're going to need to clear a space for somebody. Yeah, I think I think VR. I, I thought it was a fine signing as well, Randall. He certainly has not lived up to it. He's been pretty poor uh, this season. He's had a couple moments when he's hit a couple balls hard, but the defense hasn't really shown it. He's a lot chunkier than you know I I, I, yeah. I thought of him because a couple of years ago he like led the league in stolen bases, and he's not really showing that type of ability. I would think that the Cubs. Uh, would want to give him kind of a little bit of a longer leash because maybe he turns around, maybe there's a trade out there at the deadline for a guy like VR. But at this point, he's been pretty bad. So it wouldn't surprise me if he did become a DFA candidate. But, you know, Morel, like, as you said, I, or as you said, I think he deserves a longer look. I think he's played well enough that it's not just an automatic send down whenever, you know, Hayward's healthy. Yeah, I think that's a real good point. Another player in that mix, too, Andrelton Simmons. We've had a chance to see him now. We've seen three parts of Andrelton Simmons, his glove or his defensive play, his batting and his pitching. Uh, Safe to say the glove is where he's at. He's lived up to expectations, I think, in every way. He's a fantastic defensive player, not much there with the bat, and certainly can't pitch. And I can't pitch. I think as long as you as Nico is your starting shortstop and that they did commit to that today. Nico came off the IL yesterday. He started today. He homered today. Um, I think for as long as Nico is your starting shortstop and he should be because he absolutely deserves that full season to see, can he be that starting that starting shortstop? I'm fine keeping Simmons on the roster, I guess, as your defensive guy, occasionally spelling uh, Nico. I don't think you'd want Morel to be your only backup shortstop on the roster. Um, so I'm fine keeping Simmons on the roster for as long as Nico is your starting shortstop. And it sounds like they're going to move Andrelton Simmons around a little bit. He's going to play some second base. He's going to come off the bench more. And that's perfectly fine. You know, that's at least he has value. VR has no value with the glove or the bat. Simmons at least has some value in that glove. So I'm fine keeping him around for right now. I just really like watching good defensive players, too. We were spoiled all those years with Javi. Simmons makes some plays where you go, damn. Like, I didn't know somebody could do that, and he does it kind of routinely. So I'm with you, Randall. There is a place for him. Also, thinking a little bit about Nico, again, we can focus on all the negatives. And even with Nico, you could say, well, he's injured all the time. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. Sure. Something about Nico, he crushed that ball today. And thinking of the home runs that he's hit this year, hard thrower in Cincinnati today, he hit one off Giolito, he hit one off Burns earlier in the year. He's hitting big-time home runs off some of the better players in baseball. I think that's something, when you look at his development, you go, all right, Nico, he can hit that hard fastball. 
And about calling, you know, about Nico's injuries, a lot of these have been really freak injuries. A lot of the time he missed last year, he ran into Ian Happ in the outfield. The time he missed this year is because he got run over by an umpire who wasn't looking where he was going as he was chasing down a play. It's not like he's coming up lame running to first every two weeks. He's running into things. And Nico's not like a huge guy. Running into people hurts, I imagine. So it's not as if these have been freak, inexplicable injuries. He's been hurt from very identifiable circumstances. So I'm not ready to place the injury prone label on him just yet. Well, he has had some uh, hamstring issues in the past as well. But the thing about Nico is before he got hurt, he was really turning it on. I thought uh, with the bat, he, he was hitting pretty well. And then he got like right at that moment, he got hurt and the numbers kind of haven't been reflected, but he was really hitting the ball. Well, like in the week to two weeks before he was, he, he uh, missed time and even probably a month. And so I, I, yeah, I think it's nice. I, I agree with you guys that Nico probably should be the starting shortstop. I think I 100% think Simmons has a place on this team, especially with this pitching staff. Um, we don't know where Madrigal is and what his future is. So, you know, moving Simmons to, to shortstop on certain days, probably maybe playing third base. If Wisdom needs an off day. I, I think you move him around and, and, and yeah, there's not going to be much of a bat though. I I do anticipate the bat being a little, a little bit better than what we've seen so far, but the defense is definitely there. And, and Nico, I, I've been impressed with Nico. I, I think if you, if he can really, you know, fit into that full time, I think he can show something. And I think, yeah, he, he's taken off. A, he's crushed a few balls, crushed a few fastballs. So I'd like to see him continue to get that opportunity. There's another player I'm thinking about. Who's going to be in the mix now. Cause he's rehabbing and he's close. David Bodie. Where does he fit into this mess now in the infielder with this roster? That's a great question. I don't know that he does necessarily fit onto this roster. I think what Bodie does for you, which is primarily play second and third, you have those positions pretty well covered. And I think that's a very real question the Cubs are um, are going to have in the very near future. I think they're going to suggest Bodie take all the time he needs to rehabilitate that surgically repaired shoulder because they're going to have a, a big decision to make. This is a guy who has veteran cash at this point, he's, he's been around a while, you know, you're not going to necessarily just demote him and be done with it. They're going to have to at least talk to him and say, David, we think what's best for the organization right now is you playing at AAA and you'll be up sooner versus later. But I think that's probably what it's going to come to. I think we're going to see in not all that long that they activate him from his rehab assignment and then option him down to Iowa, which is how the transaction goes. And that sucks for Bodie who worked his way back. But I do think there just isn't necessarily a spot on the roster right now for him. I'm not, I mean, I haven't really looked into it, but I don't, I don't know if they have that ability to option him back to Iowa. Um, you know, he's been, he's been around for a while. I, I would think he has at least three years of service time. Um, he, uh, he, I, I, I do think they're going to probably make his rehab assignment as long as possible. I mean, a rehab assignment could last like 30 days, I think. That's right. So, they, they, uh, they've got a little bit of time. He just started yeah. rehabbing. So, and, and, you know, it's coming back from a, a an injury that, you know, a, a reconstruction, so, uh, but, you know, I, I could see, you know, obviously Bodie coming. I mean, at some point he's going to come up. He's going to be a member of this team. I, I don't think so. And he's going to force his way. And I, and I think they, they still need to see what they have in Bodie. Um, he still hits the ball hard. And at some point, you know, it, you're coming on that point of like, is he a guy for the future or is he not? And I still think they need to figure that out. To answer your question too, three years, 100 days of service time for David Bodie. He's in the middle still of that five-year, $16 million contract that runs through 2014. So not that they're paying him a lot of money, but they don't have options with him like you would with a first or second year player. 
Correct. Yeah. I, you know, and I, like he might like uh, Vargas today elected free agency. Um, they might have, they, if, you know, they would have to, I, I think to option him, they would have to put him on waivers uh, to, to make, uh, put him back to Iowa uh, after they activate him. So I, I think he's going to have a really long rehab assignment. Probably. Although that does give us the potential of the headline, a boat on the wave. Um, and I think there's some value in that. Randall, always on it. Always um, on it. I want to ask you guys something here too, before we talk Kyle Hendricks, because I think that's going to take a minute because it's rough. Give me one other bright spot, something with the current major league team that we're excited about right now or anything from the last week before we go doom and gloom with Kyle. Well, Frank Schwindel seems like he's awake. Uh, yeah. seems like being the everyday DH is agreeing with him. Um, the, the bats come alive. He's hitting for a lot more power now hitting at great American ballpark will do that for a lot of guys, but it, he's having, I think, better at bats than he was early in the season. There's a little more life in that bat. So if you want to look for another bright spot, you can look towards uh, Frank Schwindel, who I think strives to be a bright spot, no matter who he's with or what he's doing. Yeah. The last couple of weeks, Frank has been playing well for me. I think just seeing Wilson out there every day, I feel like Wilson has been really good this year. This might be the best season of Wilson's career. So I just love seeing him going out there every day and basically just hitting every ball that he hits just really hard. Ronan, you, you came into the pod tonight, you know, gloom and doom down on this team. And understandably, do you have another bright spot on this team or are they so few and far between that Jeremy and I have them pretty well covered? The Ivy looks real good at Wrigley. It does. It does look real good. You know, it's filled up nicely. I saw that uh, in that last homestand. I got excited. When you get to that point of the year where the Ivies come in, that's something you celebrate. There's definitely some individual stories in the bullpen, and there are some arms that have been in prime. I mean, Keegan Thompson continues to be a star. I was really happy with the last start from Justin Steele. Today, obviously, ended up a disaster and got away from him. So uh, not much, really, uh, honestly, Randall. And even the bright spot Jeremy had there, Wilson. I'm sitting here watching Wilson tear the cover off the ball and Ian. And in the back of my head, I'm going, is this guy even a Cub in a month or in two months? So even though I'm enjoying what they're doing on the field, there's this, ah, this may be the end of it that's also kind of seeping into the thought there. But I think we got two months to talk about that and speculate about whether or not Ian Happ's sticking around. Yeah, I yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, for me, it's just like I like watching them play well in the Cubs uniform and I, yes. across that bridge. When they come to that. We don't know what's going to happen with Wilson. I, I assume Happ is going to spend the year here, but Wilson is, does seem like a likely trade yeah. candidate. Yeah, but we'll have that conversation a little later. Uh, certainly Cubs getting back into Chicago will uh, – have a lot more media attention and all that on the team. I was laughing too, thinking about media attention on the Cubs here. Uh, that gaffe that they made on Marquee editing out a segment that was critical of Jed Hoyer and the Cubs and their lack of transparency. You know, Chicago media, say what you want. Talk about the role of the media these days versus even 10 or 20 years ago, the influence of something like the Tribune, where it is now versus where it used to be. But you want to stir that pot, those reporters are going to take it. And it felt like there were some shots at the Cubs organization the last couple of days from the local media in Chicago. Well, Paul Sullivan's got his sources. And what, what you're referring to is uh, the new marquee show, the sport they, they have uh, the sports writers or whatever it's called, sports reporters, right? Which is actually kind of a reference to that old show that used to be on sports channel, which I loved growing up, which uh, was the sports reporters on TV, uh, you know, Rick Tellender and all those guys back then. Actually, he was the young guy. And uh, apparently David Haw and uh, Peggy Kaczynski were uh, uh, critiquing Jed's lack of transparency, comparing him <laughs> to Theo was more transparent. And apparently at that time, they were told by the producers that there was some sort of, you know, filming issue 
that oh they were had and nobody thought anything of it until during that period when they were getting all the cameras back up and ready they were told let's you know let's hold off on uh, critiquing jed's transparency you know a little bit and then that entire segment was edited out that yeah. sat or sunday i believe it aired on tv so uh marquee uh, going a little bit above i guess to protect the image of uh, jed hoyer boy D- david haw and being told not to be critical. I, I feel very much like Ken Watanabe in Godzilla. Just go let them fight. I, I don't much care for David Haw. I don't much care for David Haw either. And I don't even agree with him on this point. I, I, I have criticisms of the Cubs organization. I think even as a fan, I have a pretty good understanding of the position that Jed is in. Right? He knows he has reduced payroll to work with. He knows there's absolutely no justification that any reasonable person could give to fans of this franchise about the fact that the Cubs are middle of the pack in payroll. And he's sort of being evasive about it. But, you know, it's pretty clear what's happening, which is why I had this team losing 91 games coming into the year, why I was pessimistic all offseason. We've seen the way that this is coming. That said, I think it's kind of interesting that in my class at MSU Denver, we talk about media stations that are owned by the teams, like the owner owns the team and the station that covers them or broadcasts them and how this is kind of new. And in it being kind of new, what's the role of a reporter these days? You put on marquee, you're not going to get a critical analysis of Jed or Tom Ricketts or all the things that we can criticize about. Ironically though, what the White Sox have on the South side is their post-game show their World Series winning manager getting into fights with their star shortstop. It's so interesting to me that most teams take this Cubs model. You don't say anything bad about the team. The White Sox have ownership in NBC Sports Chicago, and they're ripping the players and they're ripping the team. It's very interesting how that's playing out. And well, that's, I feel I, like with the Cubs, it's been more of a marquee thing because Paul Sullivan noted in his article that uh, – Peggy Kaczynski worked for CLTV. CLTV was owned by the Tribune. She had a show. She would critique the Cubs. Paul Sullivan would critique the Cubs in the Tribune. Uh, even under M- NBCSN or whatever, uh, in Chicago, they would critique the Cubs. Yet on Marquee, it's like when they finally got full control, they've kind of sanitized it a bit. Well, that's yeah. the difference between full control and partial control. The White Sox have a 30% say in what NBCSN Chicago says about them. The Cubs have 100% say in what Marquis says about them. That's the difference of uh, full ownership versus partial ownership. Well, they actually have doubled that because they have the Bulls and the White Sox. Yeah. Oh, that, that's that's true. That's true. Well, but I wonder if if part of the idea with the White Sox is let it be distracting. Let that be cathartic for fans, right? They put on this show. You love Frank. You love Ozzy. They rip the team because like, you're the fan at home being emotional and you want to let that out. Marquis, though, that's not the case at all. No. Not at no, all. It's completely and, and, sanitized. Just like Wrigley, yeah. uh, Wrigleyville, all sanitized. Yeah. Different times for sure surrounding this franchise right now. But uh, that one had my attention. Uh, Jeremy, I'm also nostalgic for things like the old sports reporter show and even the early days of, e- and I say the early days, a decade into ESPN in the mm-hmm. 90s or so, when they would have journalists on having roundtables. That is nostalgic to me because it seems more authentic or real than what ESPN is now, which is a bunch of talking heads making asses of themselves just for a reaction, right? Just to get that 30 second clip that you can throw on Instagram or Twitter. It's just, it's such a dumb product. Yet this on Marquee, like why is Marquee doing a sports reporters type show? Just show some classic games, man. Put on Cubs content. I don't know that that's needed. And if you're going to do it, 
don't mess it up so badly that you give the local media a fastball down the middle. And it, it's so soft that that's the angle the Cubs chose to take with it. I thought it was weird too, but Sullivan noted once again in his article that the, the, there is no real uh, sports reporter show in the city of Chicago currently since uh, all of our favorite David Kaplan uh, lost his Chicago Tribune Live or Sports that's Talk a Live. Shame. Uh, so we haven't really had one. And, and that was, you know, Cubs were a part owner of uh, NBC then. And, you know, they would they would critique whatever. And so it is a bit weird that the marquee decided to have this. I, I thought none of the people talking really have interested me, like David Hall. We all agree. I don't necessarily agree with the lack of transparency as well from Jed. But the fact that they, like, broke in, apparently, allegedly, to, hey, you know, I'm sure they didn't do it about – I'm sure they don't talk about the White Sox at all. But I'm sure they didn't do it about, you know, any comments about the Bears or the or the Bulls or whatever teams they were talking about. So uh, I, I just think it's a little ridiculous. Yeah. Weird times over at Marquee. Um, let's get back to the Cubs, though, here, and a guy that I'm very worried about. I mean, we've all been watching it. You're not going to find a bigger group of Kyle Hendricks fans than this podcast right here. We've been cheering for him since the trade when he came over to the Cubs. He's a World Series hero, been a fantastic pitcher. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about Kyle Hendricks making the turn. He had that awesome start in San Diego, almost fired a complete game. Hasn't been very good since, though. And in this stretch where the Cubs lost 3-4 of to Arizona and they split a four-game set in Cincinnati, two real bad starts for Kyle in the middle of it. May 20th, Wrigley Field, seven earned runs in five innings. He surrendered four home runs on a windy day to Arizona. And then earlier this week in Cincinnati, four innings, four earned runs, another home run. It just feels like every start he goes out there, bombs are flying out of the ballpark left and right. Uh, He had a four home run game, as I said, against Arizona. Earlier in the year, a three home run game in a loss in Milwaukee. Jeremy, you're watching all of his starts. You've seen basically all the starts he's ever made in his big league career. What's going on here with Kyle Hendricks? Definitely seen a fair, a fair amount of them. And it, it's, it's hard to even really know. I mean, we've seen, I feel like it's a continuation of last year where last year he struggled, uh, you know, early he had, a, he had a decent little stretch in May and June and then it just all fell apart at the end. And we were hopeful maybe there were some other factors playing into it. But so far this year, for the most part, we haven't, it's kind of been a continuation. And unfortunately, it seems like he might be like pitching. I mean, he's even said he, he is pitching a little differently. And I'm not sure it's been uh, quite a good thing. I mean, first of all, his ground ball rates have completely tanked. I mean, back in his heyday, let's call his prime, he was pretty much getting 50% ground balls at his best, you know, and never really lower than 47%. Now he his ground ball rates down to like 36%. He gets way more fly balls, which on a day like the other day, when the wind's blowing out on that Fergie day, he was just giving up homer after homer. Uh, he gives up more fly balls now than ground ball. His ground ball rate, uh, the ground ball to fly ball rate is under one, which in his career, it was, uh, it was sometimes it was almost as career high as 1.91, 1.5. So that that's pretty, it's pretty tough when you're giving, and you're getting hit hard. When you're getting hit hard and in the air, that's not good science. And it seems like he's moved away kind of from his sinker, stopped kind of pitching uh, lower in the zone. There's been the whole launch angle transformation. So guys are really kind of, you know, trying to lift the balls lower in the zone. So Kyle seems like he's trying to co- try to combat that by pitching higher and pitching more with his four seamer this year, but he's not really getting the results. He's just getting more fly balls than ever and harder hit than ever. And he doesn't have the pinpoint control he used to have. I mean, his walks have gone up a ton 
He's yeah. averaging over three walks per nine, which is has never Kyle used to have pinpoint control. So it just seems like he's missing spots. He's he's throwing balls up more and he's just getting hit hard more and he's not really getting ground balls. And it's been frustrating to watch. Hopefully he can figure it out, but I, I don't know. It it doesn't look good. He had five starts last year, Kyle, where he gave up at least seven earned runs. He had seven starts that gave up at least five earned runs last year. Home runs, again, being a major problem for him. He already, Randall, has three starts this year where he's given up at least six earned runs. We're not even out of May. It's it's really difficult to watch this version of Kyle Hendricks because it's a shadow of what he used to be. And it's been against some really bad teams as well. And that's the worst, but it's not like he's getting rocked by great offenses. He got rocked by Arizona, rocked again by Cincinnati. And there are some mitigating factors. You mentioned that it was a pretty difficult day to pitch when he got his shit handed to him by Arizona. But I think a better version of Kyle Hendricks would have done a much better job of keeping the ball down that day, keeping the ball on the ground and not letting the D-backs hit a bunch of fly balls that flowed into the bleachers. And Jeremy covered it on a, a technical basis, but certainly better than I could have. But he's simply not doing the things that gave him success in the past. He's not keeping the ball down. He's getting the ball in the air more. His walks are up. And you don't have the margin for error when you throw as soft as he does. And it's it's coming back to bite him more often than not. Yeah, and I don't know what the solution is. I mean, yeah. I, I like his curveball. He, he gets a ton of spin. I've always thought when he developed that a couple of years ago, I'm like, okay, this is a new pitch. It's to wipe out pitches. Changeup has always been very good, but it just seems like it seems like he's really struggling to hit his spots. And it that's a really weird thing I feel like to say about Hendricks, a guy who always had such pinpoint control. He could put, put any pitch like basically where he wanted to, which is how he succeeded with, you know, an 87, 88 mile per hour fastball. I mean, and if you can't hit your spots with that, with that fastball, you're, you're going to get crushed. We saw Hunter Green give up a bunch of homers on a hundred mile per hour fastball today. Like if Kyle's not hitting the spots on 87, that's, that's not good. He's third in baseball and home runs surrendered. Not a spot you want to be in 11 home runs given up this year. And again, we're not even out of May. Um, and I was going to ask you, Jeremy, like, what do you even do here? But you sort of answered it there with your last response. This is a real tough spot for Kyle Hendricks. And this isn't even a circumstance where it's like, well, now he's somebody that you could trade or get him out of the organization. Not a lot of teams are going to want this version of Kyle Hendricks. So now you've got a real problem as you're trying to piece together a competitive roster moving forward. Yeah, that that's the problem. It's it's unless there's a team out there that thinks they can fix him. And I can't imagine anybody really thinks they could probably fix him more than the Cubs think they could fix him because they have the experience of working with him and knowing what works. But if uh, Kyle Hendricks right now at this, he's not going to bring anything back. So it's like the Cubs have to hold on to him. If he was pitching really well and the team was poor, like that, okay, there's a case. That's when you trade him. Like Wilson Contreras is playing right now. Obvious, you know, it makes sense to move Wilson as unfortunate as it is. But with Kyle, it's like, you know, he's got two years left this year and next year. I don't know where we go from here. I will say this to the extent that this is something that can be fixed. And maybe Kyle Hendricks is just completely cooked. Maybe he peaked in game six of the 2016 NLCS and it's all been downhill from there. Maybe this isn't something that can't be fixed, but if it is something that is fixable, I trust in Kyle Hendricks pitching brain. And I trust in this pitching infrastructure to try and find what that key to fixing it is to whatever extent that we believe that you can that he's going to be able to overcome these issues. I trust those two minds more so than I would trust 
any other combination of individual and organization. So to whatever extent there is a solution to this, I do trust that they're, they, will, they will be able to find it. Question is, you know, what, what state is the team in at that point? Is it worth keeping Kyle around at that point? But I do trust that if there's a solution, that combination of infrastructure and pitcher will be able to find it. I hope so. We want Kyle Hendricks to do well. We want to see him shine. Be really satisfying, too, if he can kind of get back to his form here and you see a pitcher a little bit later in his career maybe reinventing himself or readjusting another time and having a couple more dominant years. That's what we're looking for, and we'll keep monitoring that over the next couple of weeks. We are going to see a new Cubs starter, though, this next week because the Cubs have two doubleheaders. Monday, Memorial Day, two with the Brewers. Next Saturday, two with the Cardinals as part of a five-game set. Honestly, Jeremy, this to me sounds like Randall's nightmare. Two games on the south side, four with the Brewers, including a doubleheader, five with the Cardinals, including a doubleheader, the two top teams there in the Cubs division. Randall, next week when we do this pod, I I hope you're not on life support, man. I hope you're all right getting through all this. You know, I was aware that it's going to be nine straight games against the Brewers and Cardinals. I hadn't even thought about how that will be preceded by two straight down on the south side. So, yeah, it's going to be – Maybe the Cubs will go 11 and 0 this week. Maybe maybe they'll shock the world. They'll give me they'll give me all the good vibes I can possibly handle. They're probably not going to do that. It, it's it's <laughs> going to be a challenging week. There's going to be some self care. There's going to be some 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 centering. Yeah, it, it, it's not going to be an easy week for me. You know, Randall mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, pretty much closer to the start, about how you know there probably won't be a book written <laughs> about these five games in St. Louis, but maybe maybe maybe. There'll be some documentation, uh, some productions based on these 11 straight games versus the White Sox, the Brewers and the and the Cardinals of Randall's time uh, experiencing that. And yeah. so I, I know there'll be some, you know, live documentation on Twitter, so we don't have to worry about that. We'll all know that what's coming there. But maybe maybe we'll all we'll see how Randall, you know, you got the White Sox, the Brewers and the Cardinals. I can't think of, you know, maybe we could throw the Mets, Diamondbacks and Marlins at the end of that. Sure. Christ. Chris, you'd, you'd be down to a two-person podcast. You'd be doing a <laughs> eulogy for me. Well, I want to encourage folks uh, to hop on Twitter. We are at BTYL Podcast. Set that alert button, though, for at Randall J. Sanders. Could be a tough stretcher of Cubs baseball. Randall's going to be firing, folks, on all cylinders over the next 11 days. Yeah, don't, don't, actually, don't actually do that. <laughs> Ronan, Ronan does not give advice that you should follow at all times. That's definitely one of those things you should not do. You don't do, want do more not, followers, Randall? I, I people people do not need to put me on an alert. Nobody, and I mean nobody, not even me, needs to be alerted every time that I tweet. Absolutely nobody needs that. Nobody is missing that in their lives. I miss it when I don't have access to it, and I think people are going to be in for a show here because this team is not coming up on a big stretch of baseball, playing particularly good baseball, and it just feels like this is a tinderbox, right? A Colorado reference, right? Ready to spark up here. Very concerned about the direction of this Cubs team right now with the stretch of baseball. But we are going to see a new starter with all those doubleheaders and things. Who's ready for the Alec Mills show next week? Well, I, I we're going to see him, cricket, so I'm ready cricket. for it. <laughs> we were optimistic the Cubs' top pitching prospect, Caleb Killian would be giving an opportunity. There was even some speculation. There was a report or two. And you know how things work now. One reporter makes one vague comment on Twitter. And then 10 other outlets cite that report. And then other outlets cite that additional retweet. And now you've got all this belief that Caleb Killian's going to be a Cub. Well, David Ross shot that down today. He said, nope, 
no chance. That's not in the works right now. Part of it, I think, Randall, is Caleb Killian pitched deep into the Arizona Fall League. He's been on a pretty strict pitch count, sitting around 80 pitches or so. Is that factoring in here to him not coming up and getting a start at Wrigley with this long stretch of baseball? I think it might, Ronan. He has made, I believe it's, uh, yeah, nine starts for AAA Iowa so far this season. He has yet to go deeper than five innings in any of those starts. And two and two and two thirds, four, five, four, four, five, four, five and two thirds. I beg your pardon. He's gone five and two thirds in a start and then five innings in his most recent start just yesterday, May the 25th, as we record this on the evening of May the 26th. So the, the length simply quite hasn't, hasn't quite been there. And as you said, they're holding him back probably on innings in a pitch count. I think they're probably going to get to the point where if he continues to pitch pretty well, they're going to say, look, let, let's just use these bullets in your arm up at the major league level. But yeah, he they've kept him on a pretty strict limit. He has not gone particularly deep into games. And he did have some trouble in his most recent start. Um, it was not his finest start. He gave up uh, four runs on six hits in five innings. Um, so I, I do think they are waiting for him to, I think, should just show a little bit more ability to go deep into games, even with the pitch count, potentially before they give him that promotion. And I was certainly expecting he'd be up for at least one of these doubleheaders. But, you know, David Ross, he says it's not going to happen. I, for the most part, believe him. Maybe we'll find out on Monday that he's full of it and he was just throwing up the smoke screen. But I think if he says yeah. that that distinctly, as he did, that it's not happening, I, I think for the most part, I believe him at the moment. I think that Caleb, uh, he's not quite a finished product. Um, and I think there's still some things that, you know, they, they kind of want him to work on before he, he, you know, they call him up and give him a start. I, I think that as Randall mentioned, he, he hasn't, he's averaging less than five innings a game. And I know some of that is he went deep in Arizona and he's been, but he, still, I think they want to see him develop a little more of a strength into going deep into games. And I, and I think they also want to, you know, just really fine tune his, uh, his, his, you know, a little bit of his command as well, because he, he, uh, he's averaging the highest uh, walk rate of his career so far. I know he's in AAA, but, you know, maybe maybe tune that up a little bit, um, work on getting some more whiffs, I think. Uh, and really, I think there's no to be honest, there's no rush to see Caleb Killian. I know we saw a 20 to 5 loss today, but this team is what it is. There's no rush to put him in the major leagues. We all want to see him, but there's no rush to be there. So if you can, you know, give an extra, you know, few weeks, extra month, really try to fine tune over a couple starts show that he can go deep into games. I think, you know, when we want him to come up, we want him to not go back down, right? We don't want him to go back down. Uh, Kyle Hendricks came up at the end of 2014, pitched the entire second half of the season, never went back down again. So that's what we want to see from Caleb Killian. And I think we will get to a point where we do see him. He's certainly going to pitch in the, in the major league roster this year, yeah. but you just want to get him to the point where he's kind of like that finished product. He's not going to go back down. Agreed. I really like that last point there too, about, have him up and then stay up. You don't want him to make one or two spot starts and go back to Iowa. The Cubs sort of have a backlog of starting pitching right now as well. We anticipate Wade Miley's going to be traded. At some point here in the next month or two, he's going to be a very attractive piece for a team that's trying to secure a playoff spot. Drew Smiley could also be in the mix for that. I imagine Marcus Stroman's sticking around, right? But there's no locks with this starting rotation. There's just a lot of arms right now. So I would think a little more time does two things. To your point, Jeremy, gives him an opportunity to work out a couple more things, build up that he's throwing more than 80 pitches a ball game, but then when he gets to the majors, he stays in the majors, and he's a part of the rotation the second half of the year. I think he will be up once we see Smiley or Miley or one of these guys. What else rhymes with that, right? 
in the starting rotation that gets traded, I think that's when Killian comes up and hopefully stays up. Cubs need a guy named Riley to go with Miley and Smiley. <laughs> they have a guy named Riley Martin in the minors, and he's, well, he's pitched all right. Seems to me that's a missed opportunity. Get him up just for that opportunity. Yeah. It'd be fun, though. And it is cool having some like big-time minor league pitching that we're excited about that isn't in a ball or you know, like close. And this is a guy that is going to pitch major league innings this season for the Cubs. Certainly. I mean, they have to put him on the 40 man because uh, he'll be real five eligible at the end of the season. So at some point he has to go on the 40 man. And I would imagine when he does go on the 40 man, he will be making his major league debut. Um, but yeah, like you said, and I said, uh, when he comes up, we want him to stay up. We don't want him to go back down. We don't want him to struggle. So I would just like, you know, just a little bit more, just a little bit more fine tuning. And I, I imagine, you know, June, July, there's going to be a time when you see Caleb Killian in a Chicago Cubs uniform, and it's going to be sooner rather than later. And we'll all be excited for it. And speaking about transparency, David Ross owes us nothing more than what he has said here. When Caleb Killian gets to Chicago, we're all going to know about it. And we'll give him a chance at that point. Uh, I, but I understand fans being antsy, wanting this young talent to get up here, getting frustrated when you see veteran pitchers that aren't pitching particularly well. But patience, Cubs fans, we're good with that. A little bit longer, this guy's going to be on the north side. We're jonesing for something positive about this team because yeah. this team has a lot of dead weight on it. Like a lot of guys that aren't going to be here past this year, a lot of guys that aren't very good. We're, we're just jonesing for something positive. And there, there's no better feeling than seeing a guy come up from your minor leagues whose debut you have anticipated. So, they, you know, that's, it's, it's understandable. We're, we're jonesing for something positive. Randall, I, I had a moment here just before we recorded the podcast. You do wanted, love having your, you do love having your moments. Well, I like taking Huxley out for a walk just before we get started. It's at night. I clear my head for a minute, talk to the dog a little bit. Well, there's a bar about two blocks from my apartment here, and there was a gentleman with a Cincinnati Reds T-shirt on, smoking a cigarette outside the bar. I have my Cubs hat on. I'm walking Huxley, heavy set guy. Randall, he turns over to me. He sort of grunts, twenty to five. And I took it in stride, like, whatever. Radel, you would not have been pleasant if that Reds fan turned to you and said 20 to 5 today. Uh, no, I would have said, wow, that's three more syllables than I would have anticipated <laughs> you be capable of using. Red fan, seemed, Reds, uh... fans are, Reds fans are not a particularly bright bunch. Well, he was uh, giving it to me a little bit, giving me the business wearing my Cubs hat walking down the street here. Ugh, Reds fans, man. Damn you, Tom Ricketts, for making me put up with this. Really, especially this Reds team. It's not like this is a great roster by any means. They gutted that team outside of one or two players. And that's baseball. Sometimes you lose 20 to 5. Skyline chili. That's all you have to say in response. Accurate. Skyline chili. I uh, can't get that here in Denver, but uh, I don't can't know. Can't get Chicago. And uh, one other thing here about the Cubs roster, Clint Frazier close to coming back. Jan Gomes, who's been very competent as a backup or secondary catcher for the Cubs this year, now with an oblique injury. Those injuries are tough. You get the oblique injury, that can be a nagging injury that sticks with you all season long. So speedy recovery here to Jan Gomes. And especially for a catcher, listeners who are not aware of the oblique is your rib muscles, the muscles that attach to your ribs. That's your side. Everything a catcher has to do from the squatting to the throwing, everything a catcher has to do on a regular basis 
need, you need a healthy oblique for that. So that's, that's not a good injury. It's right up there with high ankle sprain. One of those injuries that is known to linger. And you know, that can be a month that could be a long, that could be longer. It's just not a good injury at all, especially not for a catcher to have. And like you said, he's been very competent as a backup catcher. He hasn't been a complete black hole with the bat pitchers yeah. like throwing to him. You hope he's back sooner versus later. And, uh, you know, pour one out for P.J. Higgins, who's been all right since coming back up and joining the Cubs here. Uh, you need help. So they're getting a little bit of that from behind home plate here. I do want to get into the Cubs upcoming, you know, they're coming back to Chicago, even though the road trip is continuing. So we've got Cubs weather in a minute, two games on the south side, then the start of that series, including the Memorial Day holiday Cool doubleheader between the Cubs and the Brewers Monday at Wrigley Field. I also want to step out, look at some things across Major League Baseball, but I got one more quick story for you both that I wanted to share here. Saturday, this past weekend, I'm at the National Ballpark Museum here in Denver. Solo shift for me was the only guy working it, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. It was a doubleheader at Coors Field that day, day-night doubleheader with Randall's favorite National League East fan base, the New York Mets Woof. in Denver. So I'm at the museum all day. It's just a constant stream, Randall. Mets fan after Mets fan after Mets fan coming in to the museum. So I'm talking with them all day. Here's something that I was surprised by, really surprised by. I heard some awesome stories, some interesting things about Shea Stadium, lots of love for Shea Stadium and the group of people that came into that museum Saturday. The animosity, though, for Marcus Stroman from that fan base blew me away. I always tell people in that museum, I'm a Cub fan. I got, you know, I, I like the Rockies here, but I'm a Cub fan. They said, oh, how do you feel about Marcus Stroman? I asked them the same thing. That's a fan base that at least in my six hours at the museum on Saturday, fan base that does not like our number two pitcher. Well, Jeremy, I know has thoughts on this. I'm going to get the first word. Jeremy can have the last <laughs> word. Um, at, at some point, I often have to consider who has certain viewpoints. Like it's a question of, what side of an issue do you want to be on relative to who is on the other side of the issue? Mets fans saying they don't like Marcus Stroman. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go too deep here. I think that's, I think it's that the Mets fans don't like him. That says all it needs to, to me. All I can say is Ron Santo taught me, taught me everything I need to know about what to think about the opinions of Mets fans. The, the eternal, eternal conversation he had with Pat Hughes that one day, the poor guy who wrote into the broadcast uh, from New York says his girlfriend was a Mets fan. What did Ron Santo tell him? Dumper, dumper. <laughs> Poor Pat Hughes sitting there laughing, going, "Oh God, this guy's telling this guy's telling a listener to dump his girlfriend on live radio." Dumper. That's all. That's my advice. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say as much as I need to. I, I'm not all that worried about what the Mets fans think about most things, but yeah. especially not what they think about Marcus Stroman. It was an interesting crowd, to say the least. Mets fans travel well. They're loud. They have their blue and orange shirts on all the time. I did see one cool thing, though, that relates to Cubs fans. Last time that I was on the show, I had mentioned that uh, last time I was in the museum, the 2013 home plate from Wrigley Field was something that came into the museum. I was able to hold it and touch it. I thought that was cool. It's got cleat marks on it, something that, of course, that makes sense. But you don't really think about unless you're holding a home plate in your hands. There was a Mets fan who bought that to send it to a Cubs fan in Germany. And I was able to help with that transaction. I thought, hey, man, that's pretty cool. That's a solid friend there. You know your buddy's a Cubs fan. He's in Germany. You've got the home plate from Wrigley Field in 2013, authenticated, all that stuff. It's got dirt, cleat marks, all of that on it. You send that out. It was cool to be a part of that transaction there and hopefully a cool gift, you know, for that baseball fan overseas. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't, uh, Strowman's obviously going to be a controversial character, but, uh, I, it surprised me that Mets fans wouldn't, uh, like him. Oh, they don't. At least the yeah, couple hundred or so that I met Saturday. I also you think know? it's cool you are volunteering at the museum, by the way. I think that's a pretty cool thing. It's been if, awesome. If only we could authenticate whose cleat marks those are on the 2013. Oh, God. <laughs> on the 2013 uh, home plate from Wrigley. Those those cleat marks could belong to David DeJesus. They could belong to the late Grace Louis Valbuena. Oh, they, could, they could belong to Scott Hairston or Junior Lake, Nate Shearholtz, or even Deonor Navarro. So many great names that those cleat Brent marks Lillibridge. could belong to. Yeah. Brent Lillibridge, that's right, Jeremy. There's so many great names that those that those cleat marks could belong to. It's a shame we couldn't authenticate those before it was shipped off to that that international Cubs fan. Yeah. You know, it's funny though. The other uh volunteer in there saw my reaction when I, I asked what year. And I thought it was sometime in the 2010s or so. And she said 2013. And I sort of chuckled or something. And she's like, What, you know, I'm like, oh, it was just a bad bad Cubs team like at least by 2014 you know you had Javi coming up you had Solaire there were World Series members on that 2013 team of course uh Anthony Rizzo was a big part of that Cubs team but Jake uh, Arrieta yeah yikes 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 Yikes. um but cool and thank you Jeremy it's awesome going in there and the two things that I really like about it is I get access to the back room which is stuff that either isn't displayed or hasn't been organized yet and there are just things in there that are awesome like i'm going through a pile of equipment and here's the home plate from wrigley field and i'm going oh my gosh holding this in my hands the other thing that is very cool is just meeting baseball fans who come in and i had a really awesome moment actually randall you may tear up here older probably in his 70s or so pittsburgh fan and he came in with a pittsburgh pirates hat on and the first thing you see when you walk in the ballpark museum and turn to your right is forbes field and they've got one of the arched windows of Forbes Field. There's one of three remaining that still existed today. They've got one of them in the museum. They also have a turnstile from when Forbes Field opened, an original turnstile at the ballpark. The guy looked at it, just started bawling. Like, wow, this brings me back to being a little kid. Those kinds of moments, being around these baseball fans, even though he likes the Pirates and I'm a Cubs fan, that stuff is so cool. And I just like talking to baseball fans all day. That's, that's, a, real good, that's a real good story. You mentioned the back room stuff that's not on display. I'm imagining there's like a discarded dinger head back there missing oh, an eye. Wish. And it's like a it's like a boo from Mario. Every time you turn around, it starts to creep up on you. But you turn and look back at it and it hides. That's what I'm imagining you have in that back room there. Well, there was also a, a cool thing there. A guy was talking to his girlfriend, you know, trying to tell her some baseball things. He didn't quite have the accuracy down though. And he was telling her there's a W flag and there's an L flag that have both flown over Wrigley field in the museum. He's like, Oh, they don't do the L flag anymore. They got rid of that. They just do the W flag. And it's like, eh, that's not exactly uh, how things work, but you know, you hear some interesting things. You, you, you meet some unique people and yeah, that back room, man, that's the place to be uh, some cool course field memorabilia in there as well. I know it's not that old of a ballpark, but third oldest in the NL these days. As a museum employee, you are legally mm. permitted to correct a visitor when they say things like that. Did you? I I jumped in um, also explaining. I did. I did actually jump in there and go, eh, because I think it's cool that the Cubs do that. And I remember a couple of years ago, Crane and all of his ridiculousness seriously floated the idea of the Cubs getting rid of the L flag. And you cannot do that. It does not go both, like it, it has to go both ways is what I'm trying to say. If you're going to make the W your big marketing thing and fly the W flag after you win, you have to do the L flag as well. And fortunately, 
the Cubs have done that. But I remember Crane Kenny, I want to say the last rebuild, like 10 years ago or so, going, do we really want to highlight the fact that we lost? Well, yeah, you have to do that if you're going to put the W flag in every marketing campaign ever. So I'm glad that at least common sense moved forward there. Um, let's get some weather, though. Cubs are coming back to Chicago. It was sort of a crappy, rainy day in Cincinnati today. What are we expecting on the south side? Two with the White Sox starting Saturday and then four with the Brewers starting Monday, Randall. Well, Ronan, the best part of each show, of course, is the weather provided to us by Alexander Hall, whom you can find on Twitter at Alexander Hall and, of course, at Cubs Weather, the account he runs with two other uh, fine individuals. So he brings us the weather every week. We have the off day tomorrow, which is very weird. A Friday off day is one of those things that just does not feel like it should happen in a baseball season. But the Cubs play two down on the south side at beautiful guaranteed rate field uh, right off 90 right there. Um so it is a Saturday night game, 6.15 local time, a Sunday day game, 1.10 local time. Saturday, 73 degrees with wind in from left field at 10 to 15 miles per hour. Sunday, 82 degrees, wind in from left center field, 15 to 25, 15 to 25 miles per hour. Alexander describes the series vibe as no drama in the Crosstown Cup. An easy, eventually breezy, home away from home series for the Cubs at the rate beautiful night game Saturday and a warm breezy Sunday day game. Sounds like a beautiful weekend for baseball. And then the Cubs come back home in earnest to beautiful and historic Wrigley field. They play, as you said, a split double header on Memorial day, and then they play Tuesday and Wednesday night at seven Oh five PM. Alexander describes the series vibe as school is out, offense is in. It's the start of winter of summer break, not winter break. It's the start of summer break. Windy, but not yet excruciatingly humid. And I hate it when it's excruciatingly humid. Brilliant sunlight and tons of offense boost available for fly balls this series. Ball hawking and barbecuing is encouraged. A chance for a shower or storm by Wednesday. So for Monday's games, the daytime game, you can expect a game time temperature of 89 degrees. The night game, a game time temperature of 82 degrees. And for both games, winds will be out to center field at 20 to 30 miles per hour. So it's going to be a night for offense at Wrigley Field. Tuesday night's game, you can expect a game time temperature of 87 degrees. The wind out to center field again, a little quieter, 10 to 20 miles per hour. And then finally, the Wednesday night game, 82 degrees with as Alexander said, a chance for a shower or a storm with the wind out to right field again at 10 to 20 miles per hour. And so, as always, we thank Alexander and Cubs Weather for bringing us the forecast every week. It's a great resource to provide to our listeners. Follow him on Twitter at Alexander Hall and follow them on Twitter at Cubs Weather. Yeah, good stuff there. Thank you so much, Alexander. And thank you for looking out for the Cubs viewership base back home uh, the other day here tornado warning i think in our neck of the woods up there in glenview i see cubs weather talking about it and posting radar and things nice to be able to see what's going on back home with friends and family obviously back in the neighborhood we did we did have a tornado warning there was no tornado touchdown it was a radar indicated tornado with a funnel cloud some crazy photos taken by people out by o'hare airport just this hmm. huge swirling vortex of doom in the sky fortunately it did not ever really progress beyond that but the sirens were going off for a little bit of time and one thing i want to mention that alexander has mentioned both on his account and to me is he's been very impressed with the job that the cubs have done in forecasting the length of rain delays this year um Ooh. 
in his expertise, and it has borne out on the part of the Cubs, they have said, for example, after a long rain delay, we expect a start time of 2.45 to 3 o'clock, and the game ends up restarting or starting right there in that window. So Alexander has taken uh, particular note of the Cubs' accuracy in forecasting the length of rain delays this year. So, you know, we, we get on Tom Ricketts for not spending money. Clearly he's put some money into that Doppler radar that he installed in Clark's helmet that uh, tells the grounds crew what's coming to Wrigley and when it's going to pass. So something Alexander has made a point of mentioning so far this season. Randall, how did you handle uh, that tornado radar detected tornado? Well, you know, I saw, I saw that it was radar detected. I, I keep up of course with the national weather service, Chicago office and their, their storm monitoring. I did see that there was there were not any touchdowns just yet, that it was more of a remain vigilant. Just like the Bears I, offense. Yes. That's, that, you know, Jeremy, that was my exact, <laughs> my exact thought this morning, that there was no touchdown with this tornado, just like Matt Nagy. The, my exact thought this morning, we are both similarly and irreparably broken. Um, but yeah, I was still at work at the time up there in Northbrook. Uh, my office does not have a... Uh, a basement. So, and I did not think it was the best idea to try and drive home at the time, even though it is a fairly short drive. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to sit tight. I'm going to keep an eye on it. I hear the sirens. I see the radar. I'm going to monitor it. Unfortunately, I did not have to do more than that. As again, it did not ever do any damage. Um, just gave us some really great photos of what they call a mesocyclone, which is basically a rotating cloud. And that's exactly what a radar indicated tornado means. A radar indicates that there is rotation in the storm. It's called a hook echo. You can look that sort of thing up. You can actually see it. It's the shape of like a little spiral on the radar. It's fascinating stuff, but fortunately no damage, no must, no fuss, just some real great photos. Randall, I, I want to see this. I missed out on this. Just give me a search term here uh, to throw in. And radar, this. radar hook echo. Mesocyclone. Mesocyclone. <laughs> that's right. We, we can rename it. You know what? If we ever start like a softball team, we'll name ourselves the Mesocyclone, the Glenview Mesocyclones. It's uh, wild, uh, you know, scary world out there sometimes, some of these weather events. Um, but I will look for some of these pictures. I am curious to see that. Uh, Jeremy, Cubs on the south side this weekend. Little Birdie tells me you're going not once, but twice. What's the game plan for you this weekend? Did I hear that right? I don't know if that Little Birdie might have told you wrong. And it's kind of funny because that Little Birdie was me, I believe. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I did. I think I screwed up on the original text. I, there, I wrote yes, Saturday, but go. it's Sunday. It's Sunday. <laughs> okay. It's Sunday, going to the game, going with our good pal, Ryan McVane. We'll see who else attends with us. And it uh, should be fun. Cup Sox. Uh, I went to la uh, I haven't been to a Cup Sox game. No, I went last year. I went last year, Cup Sox game. Didn't quite get it out uh, at Wrigley this year. So it should be fun to see. And I believe uh, Giolito's pitching that day, I think. Hmm. So I don't know if the Cubs have announced their starter. Yeah, that's uh, a good point there. I wanted to ask you, though, been about a decade since i've been to the park on the south side i know you've been there more recently this is something not sure did you get out there last season or was it two years ago i believe i yeah i, I got out there last season i get out there recently uh, i haven't been really for there for a game this year but i always enjoy seeing the socks you know uh play one of my favorite days i got a jose abreu uh, bobblehead from uh, a leftover bobblehead that was supposed to give out in april as a makeup game got to see dylan seats for first start interesting um, Randall, you're not a huge fan of Cubs White Sox this year. South side Sox with the better team. This is a really bad combo for you. You know what? I'm, I'm glad they're getting it out of the way early this year so that we don't have to ruin our summer um, with the Cubs Sox series. It is my least favorite series 
of the year. I'm glad it's only four games this year, keeping it to a minimum. I, I just don't get anything out of it. I don't enjoy it. If you know, I, I always used to say if they relegated it to the interleague rotation every three years, uh, I wouldn't miss it. But now there is no interleague rotation. You're going to be playing more interleague than ever. But if it were to disappear from the schedule, I would not really miss it. I know you're a big fan of it. It's a city thing and the two sides can yap, 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 yap at each other. I wouldn't miss it if it disappeared. I think it gives the worst fans on both sides of town just free reign to be their worst selves. And yeah, I, I could do without it. Well, I, I want to clarify. Watching, uh, sorry, I just want to clarify my stance a little bit on there. Uh, I, I it's not my favorite games of the year. I think the local media goes a little overboard with it. Um, I don't consider the White Sox a rival of the nope, Cubs. Not I even like a little to, bit. I like to keep that with St. Louis and Milwaukee, even teams like Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. They've been playing for 120 years against. Um, but if you're asking me, is it better or worse that two teams in the same city play each other every year? It's definitely better. The Yankees and the Mets should play each other. The teams in LA, even though they're further apart than yeah. other teams we're talking about, they should play each other. The Even the in-state teams, the Kansas City, St. Louis thing, yeah, they should play each other. Three games a year is fine with me. And uh, you can have a little bit of fun here. It certainly would be a little satisfying this year to beat a better team on the south side maybe the cubs find a way to do that with jeremy in attendance maybe they do i always enjoy uh i like watching the white Sox broadcast of those games i, I don't know why i've always just it's kind of like you know you're watching like a, a perverse kind of like the other side of things you know i always liked watching hawk talking about the cubs i enjoy watching stone and benetti talking you know i miss steve stone talking about the cubs so i enjoy watching him talk about the Cubs. so i always at least one game of every series i always pop on and watch white Sox broadcast sure I'll never forget whatever year it was where they let Chuck, Chuck Garfine pipe in on the Cubs broadcast. And he spent a whole inning talking about how, how much of a leader Jose Abreu was in the clubhouse. Again, I can take or leave the entirety of it. Last time I saw Hawk Harrelson was leaving a Cubs White Sox game at Wrigley Field in 2017. So was walking just behind him. He was grunting, walking down the uh, ramp there. And that was about the end of his career. Just imagining him shuffle, shuffle down the ramp going, dadgummit, 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 just the whole way down. Wasn't that the last game of his career? Didn't Joe and all the Cubs come out? 2018, I believe he retired. Yes. So I got it. It was at Wrigley, I feel like. Yeah. Um, Let's step out of the Cubs bubble here for just a minute. We're about two months into the year. At least you feel that way when you get to Memorial Day. One of the great baseball days of the year. A couple of years ago, the Cubs didn't even play a game on Memorial Day, and I was bitching about that. We get two games this year against an in-division opponent here in Milwaukee. But outside of the Cubs world, what's been the biggest surprise for you following Major League Baseball here in 2022? Any team, any storyline, what has kind of gotten your attention here outside of the Cubs world two months into 22? For me, I think the, we'll stick on the south side. I, I think the struggles of the White Sox have been kind of a big deal. Now I know they've had some injuries and, but I did not expect them to not be, you know, I, I thought they were the, the easily the best team in their division. I thought the twins, the Indians, you know, teams could compete with them, but I thought they were the best team in their division and they're struggling to even, you know, be around 500. So I, I think that's kind of like the one big kind of miss. I feel like has been the White Sox on the South side. Uh, Tim Anderson has been great, you know, on the offensively, but the rest of the team, the bats haven't woken up yet at all. So uh, we'll see how that goes. 
I'm going to keep it right there in the American League Central, everyone fav- everyone's favorite division. I'll go with the newly named Cleveland Guardians. And, you know, this might be damning through faint praise. They aren't as bad as they were expected to be. They are only four games under 500. They are third place in the division. And again, they are only uh, three and a half games. Yeah, three and a half games behind, maybe two and a half games. Math is hard. Two and a half games behind the White Sox. You have expanded playoffs this year. They have a positive run differential at plus five. Now, granted, that's a pretty thin margin for a positive run differential, but that's a roster that I know nobody had any kind of expectations for. And they are, I think, not as bad as people expected. So uh, with expanded playoffs, who knows what can happen? So I will go with the Cleveland Guardians as a team that has surprised me. I had two ideas in my head. I think that's a good one, Randall. And I thought when you said American League Central, you were going to talk about the Twins and the great play that they've had front runner right now in that division, although the Sox are right there. And we'll see. We'll check back in in a month or so. Where I was originally going to go was just the dominant baseball in New York. The Yankees and the Mets, two of the best teams in baseball, living up to expectations. Plenty of injuries in that Mets rotation. They still continue to win baseball games. Looks like there's a lot of good baseball in New York. That's going to be the case all year. But if you were to ask me, Ronan, what are you most surprised by in Major League Baseball here May 26th? Chris Bryant has zero home runs. Zero home runs. He goes back on the injured list. I thought he was a lock for 30 home runs this year for the Rockies. Is he even going to get to 10 at this point? This has been very surprising to me. It's been bad for KB, a bad start in Colorado. He, he struggled massively in that outfield. Uh, he's had the bad back. You know, he was coming in. There were a lot of talk about, you know, that massive contract. Was Chris even worth that contract? But you thought, you know, maybe that first year at least, he'd still be kind of a good player. And he just it hasn't happened yet for him. And being on the IL, like that's the worst thing you could possibly kind of be when you're uh, going into a new town, massive contract, to barely even be playing. Uh, that's tough. I'm going to toss in one more here as long as we have time. And that is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. MVP runner up last year would have been MVP. If not for the fact that the guy who did one managed to be a, uh, an MVP grade hitter and an MVP grade pitcher. Uh, He's struggled. He's struggling this year. He's had a rough month of May. He's struggling to OPS 700 in the month of May. He's OPSing below 800 for the season. And you know, the articles are flying uh, is the book out on him. It is. I think he's a, good enough hitter that he's going to readjust and set the rest of the league on fire when he does. But again, this is, this was the runner up in the American league at MVP last year. It was a very close vote, um, or at least it should have been. And he's, he struggled this year. So again, I think he'll, he'll break out of it just fine. I would absolutely never bet against Vlad jr. Because that young man is one hell of a hitter, but he has struggled a little bit this year and you wouldn't necessarily expect that from a hitter of his caliber. Totally. Yeah. Good call there. Um, The other question I had for you guys is what's intriguing to you. The rest of the way here. I'll start first this time. Team that I had winning the American League West, Anaheim. They are not in first place in the West right now, but they are playing very good baseball. And the reason why I think it's intriguing, it's like finally, right? Trout's got some help around him. Otani, obviously, an awesome storyline. Joe Madden, hint, we're going to be talking about him in a minute. This is good. This is good for baseball that Mike Trout's on a competitive team for the first time in years. And over the next two months, One of the things I'll be watching or certainly intrigued by is how does Anaheim pivot deeper into the summer? And is this team a real contender in the West and in the American League? What types of talent can they add towards August as well? So Anaheim's a big intriguing story for me going into summer. Ron, you uh, you stole both of mine. 
Uh, I had I? I had one. Yeah, I had oh. Bud. I was thinking at the start. I'm like, you know what? Most intriguing storyline. I'm going to go with New York baseball. It's been pretty great out there. It, the Mets and the Yankees. Then you mentioned New York baseball. I'm like, all right, what's another intriguing storyline? <laughs> you know what? The Angels have been playing pretty well. Oh, Ronan's going with the Angels. So uh, I don't know. I'll think of a third one. But uh, for me, yeah, I, I thought, you know, it must be a fun time to be in New York. We get a Subway Series here. Uh, with how great, although the Mets have had the pitching injuries, Scherzer going on, on the IL. Yeah. And of course, you know, seeing Otani, Trout, all those guys finally paying off. Do we Can we finally get Mike Trout in the playoffs with a six-team playoff? Who knows? I'll keep it on those Cleveland Guardians because I think when MLB unwisely expanded the playoffs, I think this is exactly what they had in mind. A team at or just under 500 who might still be in a position to make a run at some point and end up in one of these added playoff spots. Cleveland has a fairly well-regarded farm system. They're at least in the top 15. They, it seems like the consensus is somewhere between eight and 12, and it's a very deep farm system. So you never know what an organization might be thinking. Do you trade from that farm system to maybe get yourself a couple pieces and try and elevate yourself into one of those lower playoff spots. And I think that's reasonably intriguing because again, I think this is exactly what MLB had in mind when they expanded playoffs is giving these middling teams, but not as middling as you expected a chance to play meaningful baseball in the second half. So I will say that the Cleveland guardians, and it's the first time anything in Cleveland has ever been intriguing to anyone, but I will say the Cleveland guardians are an intriguing storyline to follow the rest of the season. 2016 was pretty intriguing. Well, yeah, it was intri- the most intriguing seven. thing. The most intriguing thing they did was lose, which I think and says they had it was 2017. They had that massive win streak, right? Yeah, and and they didn't do anything that season either. So, good baseball city there in Cleveland, but uh, Randall all in on the Guardians here. Yeah, tenth in the, the league, but Randall's going in. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk number seventy. This is our seventieth podcast. One person in Cubs history is worn number seventy. If you don't know, you should know. And you've seen it a million times. You're going to see it for as long as you live. You're going to see number 70. Randall, who is that lone 70 in Cubs history? That lone 70 in Cubs history, Ronan, is none other than, of course, manager Joe Madden, manager of your 2016 world champion Chicago Cubs. He is the only Cub player, coach, or manager to ever wear number 70 in a in or during a regular season game. He's the one guy. Uh, I do remember because, again, my brain is uniquely damaged in this fashion, that it was Javier Baez's spring training number in spring the season before he came up and, of course, took number nine and did all the things that Javi did. So that, of course, doesn't count. Spring training numbers are worn by, you know, random guys every year. But, of course, Joe Madden, the only regular season Cubs individual to have ever worn number 70. And what a legacy. There are only so many people who can say they manage the Chicago Cubs to a world series. It's a very exclusive list. And Joe Madden is on it. I've always had personally uh, a little bit of a love hate relationship with Joe. I was, I was, I was anti Joe being hired. I thought Ricky was our guy. I thought we could do it with Ricky. Uh, I still think Ricky was fine, but uh, you know what? Joe Madden, he managed that team. Well, he managed all the egos He led that team to World Series. You can quibble with some decisions in the World Series and the playoffs, but Joe Mann did it, and he did it, and he did. I think, you know, at the end of five years, it was probably, you know, things changed, probably time to move on, but he did do it. And for that, I will always give Joe Mann credit. He will always hold a special uh, place in Cubs history. He will always be the manager that broke the curse. And so I think he deserves all the credit for that. And so Joe Mann is, is he deserves it. He's the World Series winning Cubs manager. There's not much that's, more you can say than that. 
that's aptly put. You can quibble over a great many things. You cannot quibble over the World Series ring that he had a major role in authoring and I'm sure has a very nice place in a lockbox around his mantle. Yeah, good stuff there. And look what he's doing in Anaheim. Maybe uh, as his career comes full circle here, a chance to guide Otani and Trout to a World Series. Wouldn't that be icing on the cake in his career? I I'm eager to see it. I I'm, I'm, I'm in on Anaheim here as an American League team. I want to see him go deep. I'm hey, not I against would, that. I'm good with it. Mike Trout in the playoffs. Absolutely. I want to see Absolutely. Trout swim upstream to the promised land. All right, folks. Holiday weekend here. Jeremy, you got Cubs Sox on the south side. Randall? Star Wars coming out tomorrow. What are you excited about here holiday weekend? Any big plans? Uh, no, not especially. My big plans involve making no big plans. Yeah, that sounds nice. Quiet weekend, actually, for me as well. But next weekend, first camping trip of the year. Four people, two dogs up near Aspen. Going to be an awesome two nights, Randall, out in the woods there with the bears and all the mooses and the mises and the elks. I'm and the coyotes and the wolves. You're going to get a whole a whole animal band together like a Disney movie. Yeah. Bring home all that time. elk meat. Yeah. But, you know, I'm going to miss the end of Cubs Cardinals next weekend. So uh, we'll have to get into it. But we will do another podcast here next week. Enjoy your holiday weekend here. Go Cubs. Rare off day tomorrow to this weekend on the south side. Jeremy will have a full recap for us and plenty of tweets on at BTYL podcast from Guaranteed Rate Field as the Cubs maybe sweep off a two-game set with the White Sox this weekend. We'll see you all next week for number 71. That's it this time on Behind the Yellow Line.